Today's reading is going to be Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16. Uh, Malachi is like three-fifths of the way through the Bible. It's in between Zechariah and Matthew, if you're making your way there. And I'll uh, give us a second to find our place. I think remembering that this word that we're about to read, uh, the very creator of everything has chosen to spoke, speak through this, this very word. So let's behold the word. Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. This is the word of the Lord. I really love the, uh, just the sincerity and reverence that you read that, John. This is not a... Um, it's not a lightweight passage for sure. Uh, I mean, I appreciate the call to worship, the pause to pray tonight. I think that we kind of approach God sometimes too casually, um, a lot of times too casually. And, uh, and so I just appreciate the, the, the poise that we've had tonight of saying, hey, we, wanna, we, we know we stand before a living God. And if you don't know that, if that's new for you, then, then I hope that that's part of the overall um, experience tonight is that you you realize, man, these folks really believe that they are standing before a holy God. And so uh, I, I am excited to jump in. So we're just going to jump in. I'm Thomas Nelson. If we haven't met, I'm the young adult pastor here at Christ Covenant. And so glad you've joined us for our, uh, our Tuesday young adult gathering. So uh, this passage is a continuation. We're going through the book of Malachi, the last book that was written before the 400 or so years of silence uh, until Jesus comes to the earth. 
And, uh, and we're gonna take this like right up close to Christmas as we get into, um, into kind of that, that season of Advent where we're waiting expectantly for Jesus to come. Uh, and so this, this passage, I would say, is divided up into two sections, verses 10 through 12 and then 13 through 16, and we're gonna get into all of that. But I wanna kind of set the stage for you. And this is more like a sermon. It's like, like one thought. It's like one thought all the way through. So, you know, if you, uh, if you drift off, come on back. We'll still be in the same story. Um, but uh, have you ever had like, you know, the, the, like some things can only happen once. Like after they've happened once, the same thing may happen again, but the once has happened. And like, there's just that one time for that thing. And they're, they're usually like kind of amazing. Um, it can kind of bring you to your knees, those, that, that first, uh, maybe it's like the first look. Um, and maybe it's like the first date. Um, maybe it's like the first, the first kiss, uh, or maybe, uh, speaking spiritually, maybe it's like the first prayer. Maybe it's like the first confession. Maybe it's like the first time you really experience Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe, um, and the love of the Father. But over time, it's interesting, time has a way of numbing those first experiences, and so, you know, you, you, people always are like, I'm trying to, get, trying to get that rush I had the first time. And so people go to great lengths to get that rush, whatever it may be for that experience. But like, it's, it's interesting how time has a way of numbing things. Uh, and, you know, it's, and it's kind of crazy the, how powerful those things can be that time can numb. I mean, when that first thing happens, like you can forget about work because it's so exciting. You can forget about food because it's so exciting. You can forget about friends because it's so exciting. I've told the story before, but the day that I met Heather, I was telling my buddy Scott the whole story and he was like grinning the whole time. And he said, Thomas, I was with you. And I was like, what? And he was like, I rode with you. I was like, I, to this day, I do not remember him being there at all. Um, and so, I mean, like you can forget all kinds of stuff, but when time and life kind of get in the way, and that starts to grow numb, you can guarantee a callus has come over that thing. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, when, when something that used to bring so much life is easy to toss aside as a sock that you can't find its match to, you really have two choices at that moment. You can walk away and call it a day and say, that, well, that was fun. Or you can try to revive it. And I think that that's where we are in this text. And we're going to get more and more into this idea, but I do think that's what's happened with the Israelites. They had such an incredible encounter with the Lord, and it was beautiful, and it was powerful, and the Lord moved in multiple waves, but over time, they've grown numb. And now they're kind of faced in the book of Malachi with like two choices, either walk away or revive this thing. Um, I, I was reading, uh, I started a new book yesterday. We were in our teaching meeting um, that, that we do on Mondays, and it's a great meeting. And uh, Jason said, have you guys ever read The Air We Breathe? And I was like, no. He said, Thomas, you'd love that book. So I got that book on my Kindle. And uh, I do read my Bible. I know that I like don't use it when I'm up here, but I like it. I like it. But like... <laughs> It's here too. Um, and the Kindle though, the Kindle's like, great. You can have a lot of books and it's still the same size. Um, and so, 
But anyway, I got, to, I got the book and, uh, and I started reading it. And it starts off with that famous David Foster Wallace quote. And I'm sure you've heard this before. It's, we had such a worshipful time. And now I'm about to say a swear word, but I'll read the quote because the swear word's in the quote. But here's how the book starts. He says, there are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning, boys, how's the water? The two young fish swim on for a bit. And then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, What the hell is water? He gave that at a commencement address. If you haven't heard that before, back in 2005, I do want you to know, by the way, that we are going somewhere. I told you this is like one one long string of thought here. Uh, So uh, look, on the the macro level, those are words I used in a sermon on Sunday, macro and micro. On the macro level, we live in a world that has been created by the Lord. And so every human has this threefold movement called common grace. Every human who's ever lived has experienced common grace on the macro level because we live in the world that was created by God. So common grace is simply that God is good to all. That's the wicked and the righteous. That God restrains evil. Yes, he allows evil, but he doesn't allow what evil could fully do. And that unregenerate people can still do civil good. So we live in this this world of common grace, and we're surrounded by God's character, therefore, that can't be escaped. Some of us have had God reveal himself to us, and we have another layer of grace called saving grace. We've been saved by Jesus. So we've passed from the common grace that all people get to a saving grace where we have this relationship with Jesus, but over time, hear me on this. I'll just prove it to you today. How many times did you think about the terrible driver in front of you having common grace? You didn't. Like, unless you had just read a book about common grace, like, you just didn't think that. Why? Because the world has the way of numbing us. How many times today, you as a believer, a follower of Jesus, did you reflect on the saving grace that you have? It's amazing how the things of this world can make us like those two fish where we're like, what's water? What, what's God? Where's God? And he's around us all the time. And the Israelites, they're like this. They, they had forgotten the Lord. And so let me just show you in, in these verses, um, like I said, this is kind of divided up, verses 10 through 12. And what we see is that the Lord is going to start off by saying, you've forgotten me. Have we not all one father? You see this question mark? Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? I think what we see here is that Israel is going to start to become secular. 
That's basically what's happening here in this passage. Uh, I'll read verses 11 and 12 so we can just continue this thought in this section. But Judah's been faithless and and, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. What he's saying is, at the very beginning, Do you not remember the Father? Do you not remember the Creator? Do you not remember the covenant that I gave you? Clearly you don't. Why? Because you have embraced, so embraced these other gods that you've actually, what actually was happening at the time of Malachi is they had the temple this incredible temple that was destroyed and it had been rebuilt, this temple that was rebuilt, they were actually bringing offerings from the other pagan nations around them into the temple. How, how, does, that, how does that happen? I mean, these people were chosen to be like the light of the world, They're called the chosen people because God had to choose a group of people to bring Messiah into the world through. How in the world did they forget who they were? The same way you and I forget him all the time. And so what had happened was they they started to become, they, they were these sacred people and they were going to be what we call now the church, the ecclesia, the Greek word, which is, means the called out ones. They were the original called out ones. But now the Israelites, the sacred, are becoming the Israelites, the secular. And you probably want me to pause right here. I'll just explain to you what secularism is because it's a word that get tossed, gets tossed around all the time. But basically what secularism is, is it's let me totally separate. You know how we have separation of church and state? Let me totally separate anything we do from the church. The problem with secularism is you can't have secularism without the sacred. Think about, think about these ideas, justice, mercy, humanity, and marriage. Justice is a Bible idea, a God idea. You can't have secular justice without first having a basis of what is the sacred justice. Think about mercy. Mercy is the Lord. The most quoted verse in the Bible. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in mercy and steadfast love. Like the most quoted verse in the Bible, God is merciful. Well, where do we get the foundation for mercy? If we're gonna make it totally secular, it has to come from the sacred. Uh, Humanity. Humanity, Genesis 127, he made them both in his image, male and female, he created them. Where do we even ever start to get the idea of humanity from? It's a sacred idea. And so to pull it out and divorce it from church is kind of crazy, but that's where we start to get secularism. Marriage, also, first chapter of the Bible. That's a biblical idea. So verses 10 through 12 are revealing that they're trying to take the things that God has given them, things that at one time brought them to their knees in awe and worship and wonder. But some things, and you should know this because people say like, well, a sin's a sin. A sin's a sin that like they all will send you to hell like all of them. So a sin's a sin in that it, it, makes, it makes us reveal that we are not holy like God is holy. But some things like really push God's buttons. 
And this is like, you should know this. Like, they should have told you this. I'm telling you this. Like, so if you didn't know, like, some things, like, some things just don't do. Okay, other sins, like, like, maybe on Friday, like, once. Like, but, like, this one, like, don't, like, don't do these, okay? Um, what was it, Calvin, that said, love God and sin boldly? I still get nervous about that one, but it's funny. Um, <clears throat> so, when you think about worship, and taking a foreign God into worship with God. That's like, put that one on your list. It's really offensive to the Lord. When you think about marriage, divorce, and kids, you mess with any of those, and those two are really offensive to God. And in this passage, we have every one of them. So the Lord is restraining himself as he addresses them. They, here's the deal. These folks should on a daily basis be reframing everything in their life on Sinai and what happened when Moses got the commandments and the covenant that God made with them. They should reframe everything in light of the covenants. That's how they should live. But instead, what has happened? Going back to, to these verses, they, they, the Father, the Creator, the Covenant Maker, all forgotten. They've, they've forgotten all of him. And when you start to forget the Lord, when you switch that frame that everything should be framed in and you pick up another frame to frame things in, well, you will begin to become secular too, and you'll be repeating this pattern. You know, it says that Judah has been faithless. What an interesting line. Judah has been faithless. Judah of, of all of the tribes, Judah should have remembered when God first called Abraham. In Genesis 12, the Lord calls Abraham, and they should have said, we frame everything, because that's when we came into existence. God said to Abraham, who was married to Sarah, who they had no kids, I will bless you, and I will multiply you, and I will make you a blessing to all of the earth. They should have framed everything by this. They were given a covenant promise. They were the chosen people. Everything should have been framed by that covenant. And we, listen to me, church, we need to frame everything. I can't say this enough, and no one taught me this. Like, no one, not in, not in 92 hours of seminary classes did anyone teach me this. So it could be new for you, too. We should frame everything by the gospel, they should have framed everything by the covenants and the promise of God. We should frame everything by the gospel. Every little thing that happens in our life and every big thing should be framed by the gospel. Because, listen to me, correct worship provides the framework for correct relationships. 
You want right relationships? And I'm not talking just romantic. I'm talking relationships. You want right relationships? You need to have right worship. Here, God is critiquing their relationships. Why? Because their worship is all wrong. And so first he brings up their worship, and then he says, by the way, the reason your relationships are so messed up, it's because you forgot me. They stopped framing everything by the covenants. They started to become secular Instead of sacred, they forgot that they were made in the image of God and started to believe that God was kind of made in their image. I mean, this passage implies that when we corrupt the worship, so goes every part of our lives. God is not compartmentalized. Every part gets, gets switched up and messed up. Look at, look at this, this next section. So, they, they've been bringing in these bad offerings because they married these other women who worshiped foreign gods. And then it says in verse 13, and the second thing you do, it's not good, by the way, if the Lord like rebukes you and he says, and there's another thing, like stay seated, all right? He's not like, it's not good. I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you, it's not good. This, this is like the double down discipline of the Lord. And so he, he says, and the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with weeping, with tears, with weeping, with groaning, because he no longer regards or accepts with favor with it. I'm sorry, accepts it with favor from your hand. So they cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards or accepts their offerings. Listen to this. They haven't totally left church. Are you tracking with me here? These folks are like, they haven't abandoned God. They've just married God and some other gods and some other practices. But they would definitely say like, if it was modern day, they would definitely be like, of course I'm Christian. Like, of course I'm Jewish. Yeah, but you're pagan. No, like I'm, I'm Jewish. Yeah, but you, you're living this like, Total double standard. Yeah, but I'm Christian. And this is, the Lord says, so, so you, you want to know what's going to happen? You, you, at the end of the night, when we have our prayer team back there, and you go and you pray with them, or, or you raise your hands in worship, or you just you get on your knees at home and you beg me for things, I'm not listening. The, the, Lord, the Lord, I'm going to say this phrase early. I have it later in my notes, but he's not like a desperate boyfriend. He's not like so glad that you called. All right, he's, he's not like the grandfather in heaven either that's like, I got candy for you. Like he's neither of those. But I think that's how we approach him a lot of times. Like, man, I bet he's glad I called. He, he's self-sustaining. It is good of him to want to be in relationship with us. But it's so easy for us to see that it's good of us to want to be in relationship with him. Uh, Matthew Henry, you know, he's been, he's been hitting home runs for us this whole series, so let's let him hit another one. Matthew Henry up to bat, here he goes. This is like, you know, 1700s talk on uh, Malachi. He says, corrupt practices are the fruit of corrupt principles. He who is false to his God will not be true to his fellow mortals. 
And that's what the Lord's saying. He's saying that, look, you people are not true to me and you you clearly can't be true to each other either. Because they've got this, they had this covenant with the Lord that they have forgotten and therefore they are faithless. So uh, I read verse 13, let's go to 14. But you say, why does he not, why does the Lord not answer our prayers? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. She's your companion, your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of his spirit? If you're like, if you want like a, like a marriage verse, you could do a study on this one. This thing's like powerful. Watch out, Paul. Malachi had something here. Uh, <clears throat> did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking, godly offspring? So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Look, the Lord, the Lord witnessed. He witnessed the marriage of the wife of the youth. That's that, that's that young love right there. Wife of your youth. Children getting married, barely able to drink. Come on. Um, I did a wedding one time where they were like 19 and 20, and it just blurted out in the middle of the ceremony. And I was like, you guys can't even drink on your honeymoon. Uh, and then I stopped myself. Uh, and so it was like kind of funny. Uh, but <clears throat> anyway, I should take Ridlin. Um, and so <clears throat> to whom have you been faithless? Though she is your companion, I love this. That's so sweet. Like that's like, how do you get mad at someone who's your companion? Your wife by covenant. Look, why would they think it was? They were they were going to marrying Philistines, by the way. The Philistines, you know, Goliath's people. Like they were going to marrying these Philistine women. I guess they were pretty. I don't know, but they were going and they were marries, marrying these like Philistine women, divorcing their wives. And you know, if you divorce the wife of your youth, that means you're older now, and it means you're going after a trophy wife. And so these guys are like, I like them in their twenties or something. I don't know. And so they're like leaving. It was really bad. They got to the point where they they created these divorce rules where if the wife burned the food, they, the husband could divorce her. That's how twisted this had gotten. So they go, and why would they ever think it was fine to leave the wife of their youth, to divorce them, to marry someone who was younger, who they didn't have anything in common with, including their religion? I don't know, maybe they, maybe they grew numb, maybe they got embarrassed. What I think is, I think these are some of the original deconstructors, though. We think deconstructing is like all new. People were deconstructing in the garden, did God really say that? I don't know. Let's question God. Y'all, this isn't new. We just put word or a word around it. Like, they've been deconstructing. I think they were deconstructing because they took the sacred and started to make it secular. So they're deconstructing here. And this, is, this should sound super familiar. This is what is happening in modern day 2023. That's right. Each Tuesday night, we, we open the Bible. We look for God. We proclaim the gospel. We try to reframe everything through Jesus. Why? So that we don't forget so that we don't forget the covenant that he has made with us because we believe, we believe that when we frame everything through the gospel, everything changes. And he can make all things new. 
This, this isn't a new thing he's asking of them either. It wasn't like God was like, by the way, I know there's 613 commands. Here's 614. You were breaking it and you didn't even know it. No, this goes all the way back to Genesis. I did a wedding this past Saturday. I'm doing another wedding this coming Saturday. And uh, here, here are the vows. These are the vows for the wedding this Saturday. Uh, the groom is named Jamie. The bride is named Hunter. And so this is what they will say. I, Jamie, I, Jamie, take you. I can't do it without repeating it. Anyway, I'll try to just read it through. I, Jamie, take you, Hunter, to be my wife to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, for what God has joined together, let no one separate. I end the vows every time, bringing them back to Genesis. Because it's in Genesis that God joins Adam and Eve together. And Jamie and Hunter they love each other now, but they will have trouble. I promise you, every couple does. And they need to remember that this, this is not some partnership. This is a covenant. And Jesus expounded on this. That's in Genesis 2, 24. Jesus expounds on it, and he says, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate so he's not holding these priests and these Israelites to some new standard. He's reminding them of the ancient paths. And it's true today. Like when church leadership gets woke, it gives you permission to be woke. When church leaders are legalist, it gives you permission to be legalist. When church leaders read the Bible wrong, it gives you permission to worship a God that doesn't exist. But when church leaders, when church leaders at all cost same is true here. When these priests, if they would have at all cost sought to know God and reveal him to the people, then the worshipers have two choices. They can walk away in pride or they can fall down in worship. But they can't say, we never knew the Lord. God is talking not just about the human covenant between the husband and the wife. He's talking ultimately about the covenant that he has between them. It's not a partnership. Partnerships can be ended or bought or earned. Covenants are forged in blood. Genesis 15, Abraham is told to take animals and to, to slaughter the animals and to lay them in a row and then to cut the animals in half and then to pull each of the halves apart. And then... And he knew what he was doing. This is a common covenant that was made in the day of Abraham. It's what two fathers would do when their son and daughter were gonna get married. The fathers would, that would then, one, walk down the path and say, this should happen to me if my son is not faithful to you. The other father would walk through the blood path and say, this should happen to me if my daughter is not faithful to your son. And so they would have this, they would have this blood path. And Abraham knew God is calling me to make a blood path with him. And it says that, I think I have the, the verses on the screen. It says that as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, on one side, a smoking fire pot walks through the blood path. And then behold, on the other side, there was a flaming torch that passes between the pieces. God walked both parts of the blood path. That's the covenant that he made with Abraham. 
I have you when you fail me no matter what. That's the covenant that these people had forgotten and had walked away from. Look, when life starts to make us numb and God starts to lose his luster, his grandeur, we can call it a day like that one sock where we can't find the other one and say, well, we had a good run. Or we can try to revive it a little bit. I was talking to Will and I was talking to, to David and I was like, hey, send me a picture from your wedding. And so which one do we have first? I don't know, just put one up, let's see. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. I mean, Jenna, I feel like might hurt me, but, um, but in like an awesome like, way, like she would like break my neck, but I would like smile the whole time. Like, and Will, Will's just like, I'm lucky to have her. Yep, <laughs> that's right. And for all you other boys, no. That's right. Um, and so I love this picture. Uh, and then I think we have one of David. Look at those locks, baby. Look at those locks. When I met David, his hair was actually a little longer than that. David and Ashley just looking beautiful. What year are we talking, David? 2012? Oh, I love it. Bring the vest back. What a guy. So I, I was... The other day, I was like, or Heather said, hey, I found our wedding album. Not that we had lost it, but anyway, she was like, I found it. Um, and I was like, oh, let me see it. And I opened it up, and there was this picture of the two of us silhouetted. And I was like, that girl, that day, holy cow. And then, and then we did a first look. There was this picture of our first look, and I was... Is that the first look? No. Oh, that's Heather getting ready. Oh, smoking hot. <laughs> All right. Then there was this picture of our first look. And, uh, and like, that's like the, I didn't, I, don't, I didn't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> I, like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so, that's all I could think of. But honestly, when I, saw, when I saw this picture and I remembered how sweet it was to see her and I was writing the sermon, I started to tear up and I was like, you are by yourself. Like, what is wrong with you? And it's because, it's because like, honestly, 22 years of marriage and you can grow a little bit numb sometimes. But as I reflected back, I was like, it was like I was back there. And then, and then the ceremony, the ceremony was, was spectacular, clearly before like telescopic lenses were invented. Um, but like, the ceremony was amazing, and, uh, and we had just said, I do. We had just, it was time to kiss the bride. And then, and then, like, we're off to the races for a honeymoon. It's like the last picture that's in there. What a happy couple. Uh, anyway, and then, like, the rest of it's private. So, um, but I, I think, I think what happens in, in, in these moments when you like go back and you remember, and that's what the Lord is trying to do to the Israelites. He's trying to get them to go back and remember the covenant he has with them because he knows, he knows that their relationships are messed up because their worship first is messed up. And if they'll fix their walk with the Lord and reframe it by the covenants, their relationships will be made right too. 
Uh, I mean, I think that when it comes to what we do is we, we, we forget the Lord a little bit and then we begin to, we begin to kind of like, we begin to kind of deconstruct a little bit and we start to do exactly what Adam and Eve did and we say, did God really say that? Does he really mean that? And, uh, and we, get, we get like really, really abstract in our, in our like what we obey in the Bible and what we don't obey and yet we still have these hard, fast rules that we live by. I heard a guy say this. I thought it was a great quote. He said, it's, I'm gonna like paraphrase this quote, but he said, a deconstructionist is like an academic who, uh, who says that words can have no ultimate meaning and then meanwhile calls his wife and says, I'd like a pepperoni pizza when I get home. And like, do you see what I'm saying? Because that's like absolute. Um, Okay, it was good to me. It was a good quote. Just write it down. Think about it later. Um, Look, I think that if we get God right and if they had gotten God right, they would have gotten their relationships right. I mean, you know what a wedding ceremony is, right? Like it's a worship ceremony. The groom goes down front because he represents Jesus waiting on his bride. The bride makes this glorious entrance because Jesus is proud of his bride and wants everyone to see his bride. The husband leads the way in the whole ceremony. Why? Because Jesus leads the way for us in the whole ceremony. And then the two become one. And then it doesn't end there. They have a party and then they go away. And you know what happens? They get naked in front of one another. And do you know how humbling and awkward and scary and weird that whole thing is? You know what that is? It's still a picture of the gospel. As you bear your soul in front of the Lord and realize that he has chosen you. The whole thing is a picture of the gospel. And the whole thing was a picture of the covenant that the Lord had made with them. And they were annihilating it. And the reason they were annihilating it is because their worship was all wrong. And then there's verse 16. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Do not be faithless. You know, the Lord's not saying like, don't be faithless to your wife. He's saying first and foremost, don't don't be faithless to him. You can't make this stuff up. Do you know what this word violence is translated into? That's the Hebrew word for violence. The Hebrew word for violence is Hamas. Now, to be fair, what we have when we hear Hamas on the news right now is, is actually, um, it, it, it's actually the Islamic resistance movement, and Hamas in Arabic means zeal, but Hamas in Hebrew means violence. And I think what we see, and so I don't think it's much of a stretch that what is currently Hamas lines up with the Hamas, the violence here. And what you, what you end up with, if you are a person who is faithless to God... Now, follow me here. This is going to sound like really crazy and like, I don't think that's true, but like, this is where it leads. A faithless person to the Lord results in their worst moments as a relational 
terrorist. They bring violence and fear into their relationships. Y'all, here's the problem. I have been Hamas to Heather. There have been times that I have lusted after other women. There have been times that I have acted faithless. There have been times that I have been mean. And so the hope in this passage is not simply that these husbands would do better. The hope is that all of these people would reframe their life in view of the covenant God was making with them and the promise of a future Messiah. And the hope for us is not that we wouldn't, we would just be better relationally. The hope is that by the grace of Jesus, we would reframe everything through him. And as a result, every one of our relationships, romantic, friendship, family, work, every one of our relationships, we would bring nothing related to violence and fear, but instead we would bring the peace of Christ into those relationships. For me, what comes to mind all the time when I think of how many times I've failed is Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And so what is your code that you function by? What is, what is your, your, your mode of operation that you, you say, hey, this is, what, this is how I decipher what I do? What is your frame? Do you realize the water that you're even swimming in, the common grace of God extending to all people, the saving grace of God extending to many people. Do you even realize the water that you are swimming in? The Lord is trying to wake them up and help them to realize this. And if you're wondering like what I'm trying, Thomas, I'm trying hard and I, and I don't see the Lord coming through, keep trying and read the last verse in chapter two because the faithful ask the same question. And in two weeks, we're gonna get to that and that is the justice of God. It does take faith to follow Jesus, but it takes faith to not follow him. Hebrews 11, one and verse six says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We are called to be a people who remember the covenant of Jesus and when life makes us numb, we need to revive that memory of what Jesus has done for us. We are to bear fruit and bring life. You see, in the New Testament, you don't have to get married like you did in the Old Testament to bear fruit and bring life. In the New Testament, we have Jesus, we have Paul, we have so many who were single that lived the Genesis call to be fruitful and multiply because by the power of the Holy Spirit, we could be fruitful and multiply the gospel. We get the gospel, the good news of Jesus right, and I promise you, the relationships will get right. But if we expect God to act like a desperate boyfriend, 
and give us what we want while we live in our own framed world, we will be sorely disappointed every time. I think with so many folks questioning the things of God and what he says, and do I really follow him and believe him? I think it's easy to say, maybe Christianity, maybe Christianity has seen its rise and it has in its fall. That same book, I'll end with this quote. It has a great quote. In October 2019, a British court ruled against David Macarith in a case that epitomizes our modern culture wars. In a job interview, Macarith, a doctor with 30 years' experience, wished to reserve the right not to refer to, in his own words, a six-foot-tall bearded man, man as Madam. When he was not employed, he claimed he was discriminated against because he made known that his beliefs were based on Genesis 1.27. For Macarith, the belief that God created mankind in his own image, male and female, was foundational. When the case went to court, the ruling went against Macarith. In particular, the doctor's belief in Genesis 1.27 was singled out by the judge as incompatible with human dignity. And so the verse verse that lies at the roots of human dignity was condemned in a judgment that very much calls to mind the image of a culture sawing at the branch of the tree on which it is perched. So is Christianity done? If you follow the Lord and you obey him and you seek him and you don't view him as a desperate boyfriend or a grandfather in heaven, but he's holy and just and you trust him and you take him at his word, I like how he ends this quote. Well, it's worth remembering that tides go out, but they also come in. There have been many long withdrawing roars in church history and equally many extraordinary surges. Tides do not go out forever. So as we land the plane tonight, Whose words are you believing that is framing your life? In Proverbs 28, 26, it says that a fool trusts in his own mind. The way we think has definitely been poisoned because of the water that we swim in. But the Lord in this book, through his spirit in Christian community, has given us this roadmap back to the ancient paths that we can avoid the trappings of becoming a relational terrorist, not because we're so good at relationships, but because we remember the one who gave us them in the first place. So maybe it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that we cling to, to lean not in our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him, and he will make our path straight. The Lord has given us his word, his voice, his son, And I think it's like what Peter said to the disciples in 2023. I think he'd say the same thing to us. Will you leave me too? And may our response tonight be, Lord, where else would I go? I want us to come to Jesus now, seeking him for healing, seeking him for repentance, seeking him for restoration, begging him to knock the numbness off and to help us reframe everything by the gospel. Jesus, would you help us to reframe everything by the gospel, Lord? Because when we get worship right, relationships and everything else get taken care of too. 
Jesus, help us to be well aware now of whose voices we listen to to frame our lives. May we repent if it's anything other than you and yourself revealed in your word. All those things lead to death, but you lead to life. Move in our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.